All right, if you'll take the Word of God this morning and go to Romans chapter number 3, Romans chapter number 3, and then also, if you'll turn to chapter number 11, if you have a copy of the Confession, paragraph 2, paragraph 2. Our subject for this morning is the instrument of justification. The instrument of justification. Uh, the phrase instrument of justification comes directly from paragraph number two. The paragraph reads this way, Faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and His righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification, yet is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces and is no dead faith, but works by love. As we study this text this morning, not only the confession, but the text of Scripture, we're considering this doctrinal principle of our justification, but being justified freely. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is found in Romans 3, verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Specifically, we're dealing with the relationship between the instrument of justification and the act of faith. How do those two work together? What are they? How do they function? In Romans 3, verse number 19, or verse number 21, rather, it says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make the void to make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. One of the main points that we need to establish is justification as a doctrinal subject. Justification is not a change in us. It's a verdict about us. There's a, a grand difference between a change and a verdict. In a sense, in the act of justification, God is acting as a judge, not as a surgeon. And what we mean by that is, is God is declaring something to be without sin not because it is without sin, but because He declares it so. We're not made sinless. 
we are declared righteous. And it is through this act of faith is even what the confession tells us here. He says faith, receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification. However, the paragraph breaks it up into two really different thoughts here. What the source is, the instrument, and then what happens in the receiver of that. And what we understand is that everything that God has done, when he justifies an individual, it always is accompanied by other saving graces. In other words, it's not a dead faith. So a faith that has no works is a dead faith. It's a faith that has nothing in it. But we need to understand and really establish the importance of clarifying the relationship between faith and works. Faith in His righteousness is the instrument of justification. You see that in Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. We see that it is all about His righteousness, the righteousness of God in verse 21, the righteousness of God in verse 22. Notice verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the sense of justified here is in this particular place is it declares a person to be righteous. So we're being declared righteous. And the example would be that a person is put on trial and that person is brought before a judge. One of two things is going to happen. Either he's going to be acquitted or else he's going to be condemned. We all essentially stand before the judge. And at any moment, we are given a verdict. We are either acquitted or condemned. It is not possible that any one of us should be acquitted on the grounds of us not being guilty. So in other words, our being acquitted is not based upon our lack of guilt. And that's an important fact to establish because he's not finding us not guilty. We're still guilty. So we have to understand the difference between what's, what's actually happening here. We already know, and the Bible tells us, all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. We all must confess that we have broken the law of God thousands of times. Thousands of times we've broken God's law. This is not even just a single act of insurrection or a single act of sin. We're guilty of breaking God's law thousands of times. So the hope comes in the reality that the Lord has provided a way in which he can be righteous and still declare the guilty righteous. Think about that for a moment. Can someone let Mark in, please, Jerry? Um, So we declare, we are declared by God to be righteous. Simply stated, we look at it this way, by the means of Christ's substitution and the imputation of His righteousness, our sins are literally taken off of us and were laid upon Christ. Okay, They were taken off of us and laid upon Him as the innocent substitute. Those sins did not just disappear. They were actually laid on Christ. So it's important that we understand what this term justification is. Now you'll notice there it also says justified freely by His grace, verse 24, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
The term redemption means a price is to be paid. Something, or in this case, someone, needs to be redeemed. As a result, there is an intervening suffering and an obedience that must be adhered to perfectly. So, the fact is, we are not justified freely without redemption. In other words, there would be no justification if there was not a redemption. Nor can we be justified by His grace without the intervention of a sacrifice. There's no way we could have been declared justified had there not been an interceding. In other words, God could not just look from the throne of heaven and declare us to be righteous without a sacrifice. Even though He's God, He could not do it without an atoning sacrifice, sacrificial payment being made, which is in the person of Jesus Christ. So this redemption and this justification, they go hand in hand. This is, these, these cannot be separated. Now we say here this morning, and we rejoice, especially on a Sunday that is set apart uh, to celebrate the resurrection. I'm thankful that we as a church... Uh, we celebrate the resurrection every week. It, it, this is nothing new to us. We talk about the resurrection every single service in some capacity. So t t this is a great day. It's a glorious day. But every single Sunday we come together, we're celebrating the resurrection. And that there would not have been a resurrection had there not been an interceding, atoning sacrifice where Christ gave, his, gave himself over to be that sacrifice. Now, there are people who, with bad intentions, think that we can somehow take away the doctrine of substitution, we can take away the substitutionary atonement, and we can come to some kind of intellectual understanding of what it actually means to be justified. But honestly, what we're talking about here is more than just an intellectual assent. We're talking about something that only the gospel true gospel can cover. So it's important I know the true gospel. It's important that I know that the gospel is not just something that is to be taken lightly or something that we just kind of toss around and hope it sticks. It's important that we're very clear and articulate in how we address it, how we say things, why we say things. Because terminology is similar across different denominations. You can go into churches that don't preach the true gospel today that use the words justification, they use the word redemption, they use the term Jesus Christ, they use the word blood, but they do not believe what we believe. So it's not just terminology. So it's important that we clarify what's actually happening in justification. The instrument of justification is His righteousness, it is not about a change in us. It's about a verdict about us. That's the result of what Jesus Christ has done. So what is faith? What do we have faith in? What are we putting our faith in? We're putting our faith in His righteousness. The entirety of my salvation is placed in His righteousness. It's not just in my belief that He went to the cross. It's in His righteousness. And that is a very important line of division. 
It was someone said in our house today that, you know, it's interesting that on Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, people talk about this. They talk about Jesus and they don't talk about him the rest of the year, but it comes out today. So there is an awareness that Jesus Christ went to a cross. There's an awareness of the story. There's been how there, there's every every night before Resurrection Sunday, there are particular films that run that are with the intent of showing people this is what this was all about. But salvation is not just found in me believing Jesus went to the cross. Salvation is found that upon that cross, the actual my sin was actually laid upon him. Not theoretically, not hypothetically. My actual sins were laid upon him and God the Father actually poured out his wrath on the Son. Not just for illustrative purposes. Not in parabolic purposes, as a parable. He actually poured out his wrath on the Son. And so there is this very clear understanding that the cross was an instrument. And it was an instrument that was used to crucify someone who's guilty. So him going to the cross and hanging upon that cross was a declaration to everybody who walked by and the people that are unaware looked at that and said, if that man's hanging on a cross, then that man's guilty of the sin in which he's committed or the crime he's committed because that's what that Roman cross is for. You see, we look at a cross and we understand, hopefully, what was going on there. But even a movie cannot, cannot convey to you what was actually happening. They, they, it cannot convey to you the sin, your sin, actually being placed upon him and the full wrath of the Father being poured out upon him. And verses like that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Hollywood cannot, Christian film cannot, they can't illustrate that. They just can't do it. So what am I placing my faith in? That he went to a cross? No, I'm placing my faith in his righteousness. That is the very instrument. The instrument is his righteousness. What is declaring me justified is not even my faith in front of his righteousness. Galatians 2 verse 6 tells us, with, with or two, verse 16 rather, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. And this leads us to what Paul leads into one of those famous verses that he gives. Verse 18, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law that I might live unto God. Now notice his terminology is extremely important. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. 
Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Paul completely blows up the idea that I can find any kind of justification and standing before God that's acceptable by my works. He absolutely blows it up. It's one of the many things I love about Paul. He did not sugarcoat it. He simply said, if that's what you believe, if that's what you stand on, then Christ went to that cross and he died in vain. So faith alone in his righteousness. Some object to the doctrine of justification because remember, the doctrine of justification is not based upon my works that declares me righteous. It's a verdict that he declares based on his son. Some object to the doctrine of justification on the basis that it'll lead Christians to live completely disobedient and immoral lives. This is what scares people to death. If I have to trust in Christ alone and his righteousness, doesn't that give people the license to do whatever they want? Those who are truly saved by God's grace are not going to desire to live however they want. It's just not going to happen. Now, are they going to sin? Yes. Are they going to have times where they struggle with the temptation of sin? Absolutely. But they are not going to say, listen, I've been saved by grace and that means I have a license to sin. That's why Paul numerous times said that <laughs> that's, that's not what this is about. So just because it bothers us isn't a reason to throw it out as where the standing comes from. So paragraph two emphasizes the fact that true faith as a result of true justification by his righteousness will always lead to good works. That's the point that James makes in James chapter number two, which is where we start to see, again, the same word being used but what James is writing about in comparison with Paul is he's not writing saying that I'm justified by my works. He's not contradicting Paul. James is dealing with the outward evidence of my justification with my standing. So in James chapter number two, beginning in verse 14, it says, what do the prophet my brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Now again, James is now writing with this, this idea in mind that here's a person in need. He's not saying that by giving to the person who's naked and destitute that now you're going to change your standing before God. He said, this is a natural outflow of what God has done for you. I'm, I'm, I'm giving. But he says, even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. So that person who is, is declaring their faith and declaring they're a believer and has no works to show that, he said that faith is dead. Now, that's, that's the Bible's words. If, if a person claims to know Christ, claims to have Christ and his righteousness, 
and he has nothing to show for it, the Bible declares that that faith is dead. You can't even claim that. Yea, a man may say, notice the use of the word, man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. Watch this. The devils also believe and tremble. He's not even asking, do you believe in God? If you approach your evangelistic endeavor by saying, do you believe in God as the main standard as to whether or not they can now be saved, you're starting, at a, you're starting in the wrong place. Now, you may start there because they have no, maybe they have no rec- recognition of who God is. But even the devils believe there's a God. Satan believes Jesus Christ is real. It doesn't make him any closer to being a believer. You see, you can have an acknowledgement of these things. Resurrection Sunday, you can actually believe in the death and the burial. You can actually even believe in the resurrection. And you can still be without Christ. You can still be without Christ believing all three of those things if you're not declaring an understanding that my righteousness is his righteousness. The instrument of the faith, the instrument of justification is not based upon what I'm doing, but what Christ has done. He said, but wilt thou know, O vain man? Notice he connects, (laughs) he connects vanity with believing that you can do enough good works to save yourself. That's the most vain thought you're going to have today. It's going to be more vain than you being overly concerned with what you look like in the mirror. This is total vanity to think that you could produce enough works that would justify you. Faith without works is dead. He asked the question, do you not know that? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? And by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. He was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. All he is identifying is is that these individuals, Abraham and Rahab, were justified and the reason they did the works they did was because of their justification. Not as a means to justify them. So what James is doing, what Paul is doing, they're both insisting that faith alone does save and the subsequent good works do not contribute to a person's salvation, but rather it flows out of their salvation. My good works flow out of what's taken place, that, that verdict that's been declared. So that clarifies the relationship between faith and works. Number two, Faith is the only appropriate instrument of justification because it fully looks away from our own self-righteousness and trust in Christ's righteousness alone. That's why it's the only appropriate instrument. Anything that gets my eye on myself is self-righteous. Again, if I think even 
I say this and I know we get tired of hearing it. If I think I'm, I am adding to my standing before God by being in the house of God today, you're fooling yourself. You are not adding a single ounce of your justification by being here today. Any good works you do today are not adding to your standing before God. They are simply an outflow of what's already taken place. For me, I'm stepping out. For me, I do not understand how a child of God would not want to be with God's people. I don't get it. I don't understand why you would not want to assemble with the people of God every time you had the opportunity to do so. Why? Because it is edifying. It's encouraging. It helps us with our walk. We need help and we don't even know we need help. We convince ourselves every day, I'm okay spiritually. I'm doing fine. We don't realize it often until we're actually under the sound teaching of the word. We're reminded, maybe I'm not so good. Maybe I have been leaning on my own self-righteousness this week and thought, you know, no, really, I'm good with God this week. Faith is this appropriate instrument, this, His righteousness, because it displays the fact that any righteousness we have comes from Christ alone. We contribute absolutely nothing to it. Thirdly, it's important to understand that James 2 does not contradict the consistent New Testament teaching that we're justified by faith and not by works. Again, remember what's happening here. James is using the word justify in a different sense than Paul. James uses the word justify in the sense of demonstrating or showing someone to be righteous. James speaks of the fulfillment of Abraham's initial justification when he offered up Isaac. His offering up of Isaac didn't save him. It was the first picture of his standing of being justified. He believed God first. So what it isn't is it is not just simply an intellectual assent to certain facts. Sometimes our plans of salvation are intellectually just leading someone to acknowledge facts. An acknowledgement of facts is not going to save. What am I being saved from? Why do I have to be saved? Why do I need Christ's righteousness? Why does a person commonly in society actually believe that when they get to where they're going, and most people, if you ask them, I think I'm going to heaven, and you tell them to describe how it's going to be, and why do so many say, well, I'm going to have to give an answer to Peter, and I'm going to have to tell Peter why he should let me in. Now, we might smirk at that, but can I tell you something? They are dead serious. They are dead serious. And be careful. It's easy to laugh at that and say, how can you be so ignorant of the truth? Just be careful when you're speaking the truth in love. There's an example. You're going to hear some very outlandish things when you ask people, can you just tell me how do you know or how can you get to heaven what they actually tell you? The sad thing is they're not making stories up. They're actually, they actually believe it. So faith alone in his righteousness is the only instrument of justification. No one is saved on the basis of his works, yet true faith is always accompanied by good works. 
Why? It's always accompanied with saving graces. Now again, you'll notice that we've, we've dealt with really the, the three main uh, footnotes as far as the verses there in the, in the paragraph. It says, yet is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied. Notice it says ever accompanied with all other saving graces. And is no dead faith, but works by love. It's the grace of faith alone in His righteousness which is the instrument or the means of justification. Faith is the instrument. Why? Because faith is the instrument because faith exemplifies or it highlights the fact that justification is always based solely and exclusively by grace on the basis of someone else's righteousness. In other words, someone else has to be perfectly righteous. Now we know there's only one who's perfectly righteous. Now, again, this is just a common fact. There are people in the Catholic Church who believe they can attain perfect righteousness here on this earth. I'm not slandering. I'm not gossiping. I'm telling you the everlasting truth. They believe that. That in this life, you personally can attain perfect righteousness. That there is this change in you that you actually become perfectly righteous. No, it's not you becoming perfectly righteous. It's you being declared righteous because of His righteousness. There is a vast difference between those two thoughts. It's always based on the righteousness of someone else. Even Paul knew this. There is nobody else righteous enough for me to have their righteousness that would declare me acceptable to God. And, you know, I say this a lot too. If Paul himself could not declare his own righteousness, are we really that vain and that bold to think that we could? Again, just speaking fact. What Paul accomplished for the cause of Christ is unparalleled. We're not reaching that. And if the Pharisee of Pharisees at one time, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, the Apostle Paul was an expert, far surpassing me in his expertise of understanding Scripture, understanding the law, understanding the things of God came to the conclusion that there's absolutely no way I could declare myself justified and righteous by my own works. How would we think we could do that? Again, it's not making a hero out of Paul because he couldn't stand that. Paul was an eloquent speaker. Why? He was eloquent because he was an orator, but he did not rely on his skills of speaking to try to convince someone as to why they should believe what they believe. He just simply gave them the truth. You know, sadly, we get in conversations with people and they say, well, I kind of believe salvation's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And we we say something like this, "I, I, I I appreciate your perspective. Like it's some kind of, let's just kind of talk this thing through. Paul's not having those conversations. He's writing about, don't you know that 
This faith, if it doesn't have works, James is writing faith without works is dead. Be careful that we don't give people the understanding. You can speak the truth in love and not accept a non-truth. We're afraid that if we push back a little bit, we're afraid that's unloving. Folks, that's what's exactly what's happening in our country today. All you're doing is pushing back with truth and the world's pushing back saying, I don't like your version of the truth. That doesn't mean we stop giving the truth. We're starting as, as believers, we're starting to cower under the pressure thinking, well, I've just got to give into this. I've just got to give into this. No, you keep standing and you can still speak to the truth. You can speak the truth in love to your worst enemy. But yet, speak the real truth. Don't give people the idea that there's some version of justification that's a little bit of them and a little bit of God. Faith is the empty hand which grasps Christ. Faith has empty handed. Nothing in my hands I bring. When, when I came to an understanding and repentance and belief in Christ, it comes at a point where I'm not offering you anything I have. I'm not offering you, God, that please accept the very best of what I have to offer. It's empty-handed. I, 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 I don't bring any of my, you know, you know I'm, I'm, I'm better than my spouse. I'm better than my kids. I'm better than my coworkers. I'm better than my... No, I'm empty-handed saying I don't have anything to offer you to even consider me for salvation. I don't, I don't have anything. But by faith, I'm grasping onto the reality that it's your righteousness that I must have in order for me to stand justified before a thrice holy God. That's what I must have. Every believer in this room has come to that understanding about his righteousness. We use that terminology so many times, and it's intentional. Because I don't ever want it to be said of us that we even have even a hint of thinking a self-righteous act of any sort is contributing to our standing before God. And that everything we do as believers is just an outflow of what's happening. Faith justifies. It justifies because it's based upon the righteousness of Christ. It concentrates all the attention on Christ and it looks away from self. All attention. It's really tough. I'll admit, it is very, very tough for many people who've not been under the sound teaching of the Bible. It's hard to come to these conclusions. I will, I will, I will submit to you, it's really tough because it, it brings a lot of questions to mind. But really, looking, all, looking away from self and looking to Christ. That is, in fact, that instrument it is his righteousness. I promised you last week I would stop a bit early. I'm a little earlier than normal. And so what I want to do this, for the rest of the time we have today, we'll stop, stop the live stream, stop the recording, so you don't have to worry about that. And what I'd like for us to do this morning is not just ask questions, but I'd like for you to give me some observations. Now again, when you do this, just let people speak. 
and just let them, sometimes we try to articulate things. We articulate in a way that sometimes it doesn't come out exactly the way we want it to come out. I know that because I, I speak often. So sometimes you don't say it exactly right. Just let people speak and make some observations. You can ask questions. I would say let's try to keep the questions to what we've talked about so far, either today or last week, and we'll kind of proceed from there. Okay? So let me stop both of these recordings.